Yo, this is Pastor Tito here welcoming you to another episode of my revolutionary podcast where I'm here to help you find faith in Christ and how to follow through with your life. And today we're going to focus on a four-week series on something that keeps many people from following through. There's a lot of people who find and believe, but there's something that holds them back from following through, and that's doubt. When they begin to doubt God's word or doubt God's goodness or his character and his nature. Now, over this next month, you're going to see that there are there is a good way. There is a positive way to doubt and there's a negative one. All right. So you'll see over the next couple. But today we're going to focus on one major root cause of our doubts. And that is a case of mistaken identity when we assume things of God when he doesn't meet our expectations. That is going to be our focus for today. Today we are starting a new thought, a new reflection that's going to last us the whole month of September. You saw it there. It is going to be help me with my unbelief. And so this whole month of September, we are going to focus on how to deal with doubt. All right, and this one's a good one because, see, this is one that a lot of times no one wants to admit that you have. Now, I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about people who, you know, there's some who feel ashamed. Like, they're Christians, they call themselves Christians. They're grateful. They sang all of the songs, and, and they, they really meant it, and they're grateful for Jesus. But at the same time, they feel ashamed because there's certain things that maybe they doubt. Like, they believe in this and this and this. But they have, they struggle with believing maybe this or, or that, and they're not, struggle to believe is one thing also. Maybe hard to understand is a different thing. And I know that the enemy is using that sense of confusion, that sense of, okay, well, I just can't wrap my brain around this. Is this doubt? And if I doubt, does it mean I'm a believer? Am I any less of a Christian because I just can't get it or I struggle to understand? So that's really the thing that we're going to look at over the next month is really clarifying doubt. I'm going to help you because there is a bad doubt. There is one way to doubt that isn't good. But there is another one. There's another one that is okay. There's a kind of doubt that when we give this proper definition, all right, you, my prayer is that the cloud of shame or the cloud of confusion may be forever removed over you in Jesus' name. So I'm praying for it. And so we're going to look at all the different root causes also for doubt. And today we're going to focus on one. And the one reason why some people doubt or struggle to believe in God is because of this right here. Because God fails to meet their expectation. I know I'm not the only one. Got it? I know I'm not the only one. There's been times when <clears throat> I was confident. You know what? We got to, uh, I'm, I'm talking to administration here really quick. We really need to um, look into some different communion elements. Man, that junk dries out your throat big time. I hope it wasn't expired. No, I'm just kidding. No, it wasn't. I'm it wasn't. Online, it wasn't. Anyways, wow. <clears throat> All right, so where was I? Oh, yeah, expectations, talking about. Okay, so expectations. There's a lot of people who struggle with believing in God because he feels he fails to meet their expectation. I've done that. I like to, well, I haven't done it in a while. I'm trying to pick it back up again, but I used to journal a lot. And I used to journal my, my devotions, my prayers, this and that. And, and it's, it's funny and embarrassing at the same time. When I look back at old journals and literally I'm be like, you know, I'm not like a dear, dear diary kind of guy. You know, I'm not like, you know, Lord, whatever. Right? And there it is. And so, and, and I'm reading what I've written. 
five years ago, three years ago. And I'm so confident in some of these things about, oh man, I, I, it's like I figured it out. Like I know what God wants me to do and this and that and da, 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 da. And I'm like, whoa, I couldn't have been more off. I couldn't have been more off. And, 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 and in those moments, I'm going to be real with you. I struggle with, man, because I've gotten this wrong so many times, assuming things of God, assuming what he wanted me to do or expected me to do. I've gotten it wrong so many times, you know, that sometimes I second guess myself now. I'm going to be real even now. You know, there's, there's decisions that we have made even in the last, mm, trying to look at my wife, uh, in the last six, no, eight, ten months. There's still times when I'm like, did we get it right? Uh, or, did we do it the right way? And so I'm telling you, I have those right now. I do. Sometimes like, did, did I make this right decision? Did I do what I was supposed to do? Did I make the right choice? And I struggle with that, all right? And a lot of times because I think I know what it is, and when things don't match up, then I'm like, oh, oh, hold on. Am I wrong? Is God wrong? Well, you know, what's going on? What's going on? And the thing is, guys, is that's the one thing that we have to be so careful about is making false assumptions, all right? There's a phrase, I'm not going to use it. When you look at the word assume, you break it up, and there's, uh, you know, you, you tend to make a fool of you and me. You can break that word up and look at it, but that's what people use. And so when you assume things, you make yourself look silly because it's very easy to get things wrong. Some of y'all got it. Anyways, um, it's, uh, it's, it's very easy to get things wrong. And we do this in relationships all the time. Listen, as a pastor, I have had to counsel many people, romantic relationships, marriages, and a lot of times some of the infighting is because of one person is failing to meet the expectations of the other. One person gets married, right? And this is the thing, when you, you know, a lot of times we get started when we get married, you got to really know you're, you know the person before you get married. Sometimes people don't do that. Because when we're dating, right, let's, you know, for all the dating people want to be, right? And so when you're dating, you aren't putting yourself, you know, you're not your truest you. You're, you're your marketed you. Right when when you're dating, you you are putting on the polished version of yourself. You know, I mean, there is a rare you are a rare breed if you are 100% the real you all the time. First time you're meeting somebody, all right. My wife's like that. All right, we were we met on a blind date at 14, and you know I'm thinking, okay, you know this is blind date, first date at that. Okay, I, I mean I'm a rookie at this point, and so we go and we go to Chili's, all right, by the Tampa Stadium over there, and over at that Chili's, I'm thinking, all right, well, it's the typical date I see in movies, right? What are the you know the girls, you know, what do they order? They order the salad, right, and eat kind of little, eat very dainty. This one ordered a triple dipper, all right, all right, the the triple dipper starter, all fried food, and then we're eating the queso dip. That's there, and the chili queso dip got those chunks of ground beef, right? You, you hunt for those. That's nuggets of gold. And so I found one. I went to get it. This one slaps my hand and, and scooped it instead of me. And I'm looking at you. I'm like, marry me now. I was like, what is, who is this person? That was so weird. I was like, I wasn't expecting. She threw me off my game. I didn't had no clue what was going on now. I don't know if this was like, what kind of psychological warfare is this? This is not the way I've seen it in movies. What's going on? And so, I mean, that was her. She was always herself, but I, I wasn't that way. Not then. And you and I, right, we, we don't do that. When we put on this front, right? And then you get into a relationship with somebody because you've fallen in love with a polished version of them. And then when you get in that relationship, that's when 
Okay, I don't have to try anymore, right? And then the real you comes out. And I know a lot of times I've had to counsel people because they've gotten married with false assumptions. Ooh, they had this perfect idea. This is what, this is what marriage life is gonna look like. This is what it's gonna be every single morning. All right, this is what dinners is gonna look like and breakfast, and this is what parenting is gonna look like. And then reality shatters. And it's like, it wasn't like that. And then you begin to say things like, oh, did did I make the right decision? Did I choose the right person? Right? But usually at that point, when people start complaining, you know what they always complain about? The other person. Do you know who they never complain about? Themselves. It's never, listen, pastor, I got to talk to you. We're not doing good and I'm the problem. Never have I heard that phrase. Okay. It's always, it's her. It's him. That's the one. I'm good, bro. I'm locking it down over here. It's her. It's him. That's what we always do. We always shift it on someone else because they fail to meet our expectations because we assumed. We do the same thing with God when we assume, guys. You know how many times I've heard people say the same thing? Well, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, man. I'm trying to go to church. I'm trying to do better. I'm reading my Bible. I'm trying to do things. I'm not the problem. It's him. He's not answering my prayers. He is not following through the way I, he said, apparently, well, he said he was, or you assumed, okay? He's not doing what I thought and expect him to do. I'm not the problem. It's him. We do the very same thing when God fails to meet our expectations. There's actually a lyric from a song. Uh, some of y'all know the band Metallica. The lead singer wrote a song called The God That Failed. This came out in 1991. Some of y'all might know it, maybe not. And the lyric, let me just read a lyric of this. It says this, the healing hand held back by the deepened nail, follow the God that failed. The healing hand held back by the deepened nail, follow the God, follow the God who failed. Very sarcastically, follow the God who failed. Reason why he wrote that was because his mother was sick. And she refused medical treatment that would have saved her life because she believed in Christian science. I want y'all to know if you've never heard of Christian science, it is, has nothing to do with Christianity just because it has a label. All right. They got the Jersey. They're not on the team. I'm telling you right now. All right. That's what it is. And so Christian science is a false religion. It's, it's a cult and they don't believe in the atoning blood of Jesus being all sufficient. Like we've been singing about, they believe that God can, or we can heal. They reject man-made medicine because they believe that we can heal ourselves through positive thinking, positive declarations of faith and just good vibes. All right. Pretty much that we can do that and heal ourselves. She refused to receive believing that God was going to heal her. Didn't she died and her son then penned that lyric, the healing hand held back. Where was God? How come he didn't help my mom? How come he didn't help my mom? She believed in him and didn't. Look at the God who failed, like sarcastically. Yeah, go ahead. Follow the God who failed. I won't. Guys, I get it. I know, especially moments like that when we think you prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and the opposite happened. Things didn't go the way you were supposed, that you thought they should have or wanted to. I understand why it could be so hard to doubt God at that moment. Or for some of you, you struggle. Like, because I don't know, and then you feel guilty. I get it, guys. When God doesn't perform the way we think he should, we get frustrated. We begin to doubt his loyalty to our relationship and begin to say things like, well, I guess he's not who I thought he was. You know, you're not alone. Do you know that the greatest prophet who ever lived felt like that? The greatest prophet who ever lived had a moment when he was like, 
I don't think he's who I thought he was. And Jesus's response to that man helps us to understand today how to feel about doubt and what to do when we do. So let's check out and let's see who that guy is. We're going to look at Luke chapter 7 is our anchor text for today. We're going to read verses 18, eventually all the way through 28. And so that greatest prophet, guys, that I'm talking about, his name is John the Baptist. Now, we call him John the Baptist because his, that's the nickname that he had termed and was given because he was baptizing people in the River Jordan. Uh, this was 2,000 years ago during the time of Jesus. And he had one message, repent because God is coming to judge the world. That's what he was doing. Now, it's a cool story. You guys got to check out John the Baptist's, um, you know, not as cool as Jesus is, but a pretty cool conception story. You know, his parents are super old, never had kids, had one. And God had given them this purpose to this baby while he was still in the womb. And his message and his purpose actually was this. His mission was prepare the way for the Messiah. This was a promise, a prophecy that was given hundreds of years prior to this. And God was telling the parents, tell this boy, God has chosen him to prepare the way for the Messiah, the long awaited Messiah that God had been promising through the prophets over and over for generations and generations. God had told this amazing couple, this is the time, now is the time, and your son is going to be the lineman that's going to plow, you know, pretty much plow the way for the Messiah to come in. And that was his mission in life. He was laser focused and he, man, great. He fulfilled his mission. It was great. That's what he was doing. And at one point as he's baptizing people, telling them, repent of your sins, he got himself in a lot of trouble because not only was he telling sinners, hey, there's hope for you. He was telling a lot of the religious leaders and, and those and some of the political elites that were, I mean, abusive and really messed up. He would boldly declare, call, you know, speaking truth to power, like some people like to say. And he was, you know, people didn't like him up at the top. Everybody was like, oh my gosh. And, and everybody from all Israel would come to see him. I mean, this guy, if he would have had a Twitter account, oh my gosh, I mean, ridiculous. I mean, this guy was known and because it was something unique about what he was saying. And one day Jesus shows up to one of these little baptism ceremonies and John looks and says, behold, guys, look, behold the lamb of God who is coming to take away the sins of the earth, take away the sins of the world of everyone. He made a bold declaration. He knew. He had known the whole time it was Jesus, and he knew now is the moment. Here comes Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who is coming out to take away the sins of the... I mean, bold declaration. John, because of his boldness, was put in prison. And that's what we're going to pick up at this point of the story. John is in prison because of his message. The, the political elites, they had enough of him. They had enough of him. They put him in jail, and, and they were, had plans to kill him, which eventually that they did. But before that moment, here's John and he goes and he has a question and we're going to read that question right now. Let's read chapter seven. We're going to pick up verse 18 prior to this, because it says then John's disciples, because prior to this, Jesus had done two amazing miracles. He had healed the servant of a centurion, you know, with a great faith. He wasn't even in the vicinity. God declared the, um, and healed him from being in a different place. And then he actually raised a widow's son from the dead. All right. Two amazing things. And so then in 18, after those two things, we see the story. Then after those miracles, John's disciples told him, Jesus, about all these things. I'm sorry. Then John's disciples told John about all these things that Jesus was doing. It was amazing. No one's ever seen this before. So John summoned two of his disciples and he sent them to the Lord Jesus asking, pay attention to this question. 
Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Let's stop right there. Look at this question. Are you the one that is supposed to come or are we to expect someone else? What's the problem with that statement, guys? Compare that statement to John's previous statement. Behold the Lamb of God who is coming to take away the sins of the earth. Does John sound as, as confident anymore? No. He's in jail and he sends a request to Jesus. Are you the guy? Or did I get it wrong? Or is someone else supposed to come? See, here's the thing. Why, how did John go from behold to, listen, I just want to double check. Okay. How did he go from that? Because Jesus was not meeting his expectations. See, John was convinced of one thing, the Messiah, because they looked at the Hebrew scriptures. They looked at every single prophecy God had ever declared about the Messiah. And he, they knew it says, God is going to come to judge the world. God is going to come to judge the world and set all things right. And so here's Jesus and Jesus isn't being vengeful. Jesus is being merciful to all the poor and the rich and, and to the powerful and to the, to the Jews and to the non-Jews. He's not being vengeful. He's being merciful. I mean, Jesus wasn't pulling his punches. I mean, he would say some words. He would say words to people and it was very, very clear. But he's looking at him. I'm like, well, this is not how I thought it was going to plan out. See, John, it's not that John was wrong about what Jesus was going to do. John was wrong with the timing because what he thought Jesus was going to do in his first coming is actually what Jesus is going to do when he comes again. So John wasn't wrong with what Jesus was supposed to do. He just got it wrong with the timing. Jesus was going to do something. God was doing something bigger and better than even John could understand. But because he struggled to understand Jesus, are, are, are you the guy? Guys, could you imagine John? You had one mission, bro. You ever seen it? You had one job. I love those memes, right? You had one job, bro. One job. And then you see them like totally screwed up, right? You had one job, John. One job. And that was to usher in the Messiah. And here's John in jail about to die. And he knows, did I just fail? Did I get it wrong? Because if I got it wrong, I have to answer to God. I have to answer to God for my failure. How, did I get it wrong, Jesus? Please, I need to double check because I'm not sure anymore. I'm not sure anymore. He, he believed, but he was struggling to believe. Now, guys, that I want to tell you, that's the good kind of doubting. I'm going to bring this up a lot this month because I want you all to know, especially my people, I want you all to know this. Okay, there's one version of doubting that is a wrong doubt. It's one thing to say, oh, listen, yeah, uh, I doubt it. Okay, I know, you know, my kids will say things to us and like, oh, yeah, you know, did you brush your teeth today? I did. Doubt it. <laughs> you know, like, no, you didn't. Right. It'll be stuff like that. Or like, did you, right? We look and we know that they're lying and they didn't tell the truth. Like, you've had somebody tell you this, bro, I just did this. I'm like, mm, no, I doubt it. When you say that, what are you saying? I don't believe you. Right. I don't believe you. Now that, if you define doubt as unbelief, okay, yeah, that's not the right kind of doubt. He was like, well, I doubt God, meaning I don't believe. But listen, doubting isn't necessarily not believing. John was doubting Jesus, but he was still, what John was doing, listen, I believe Jesus, but I'm struggling to believe. That's different. That's a different kind of doubt. When you believe, I believe in this and this, but I don't know what to do with this. This is kind of, oh my gosh, help me. I'm not sure, but... I'm sure of this, but I'm not. That is where John was. 
That is where John was. He was doubting that Jesus was the Messiah. He believed still, but he wasn't sure. He was struggling to hold on. That is okay. And you know how I know it's okay? Look at how Jesus replied to him. Look at Jesus' reply. Ready? Let's go back to verse 21. John replies, are you the one who is to come, Jesus, or do we expect someone else? And Jesus replies, says this, listen, at the time, Jesus had healed many, verse 21, Jesus had healed many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many blind people. Jesus replies to John's disciples and says, go and report to John what you've seen and heard. Go tell him what you're seeing and hearing. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Pause. Look at what Jesus' reply was to, by the way, John was his cousin. So that's an interesting, all right, cuz, listen, all right. Jesus was John, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, all right? You know, like, cousin, really, bro? You doubting me? Really, that's where we're at right now? I'm like, no, see, he, notice what he did. He did not rebuke John's doubt. He reinforced his faith. Guys, come on, y'all gotta catch that. He did not rebuke him for asking a question. I know some of y'all, I'm like, listen, I got a question, but I think it's stupid. Listen, I, I've been a teacher for the longest time. There's no, okay. Yes, there are stupid questions. I'm sorry. Okay, there are stupid questions, right? Uh, but I'm going to be real. But what's more stupid, if that's uh, grammar, if it's more, what's more stupid is not asking any questions, okay? That's dumb. Don't, not asking anything is bad, okay? I would rather you ask a stupid question than ask nothing. All right, I'm just going to be real with you. So John asks a question. Jesus doesn't rebuke his doubt. He reinforces his faith. And he tells him, listen, tell him what you see. I know you're not seeing me judging the world. But what else do you see? Look at everything else around you. Every single one of these miracles was proof that these are messianic proofs that I am this. I mean, these were all things that Jesus was fulfilling in Isaiah. When he goes and before he starts his ministry, he opens the scroll, reads from the Isaiah, and he says, for the spirit of the Lord is on me to you know, give sight to the blind, to set the captives free, to bind up the brokenhearted, and declare the year of the Lord's favor. All of these miracles were confirmations that this is the guy. So I know he's not doing everything that was expected of the Messiah at that point, but he was doing, there was enough receipts, there was enough evidence for him to say, listen, I know I'm not doing what you think I should be doing, but look at everything else I'm doing. I am doing everything, this, 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 this proves. And by the way, I think it was interesting that he mentions, look at the first miracle that Jesus mentions. He, the blind received their sight. First, first miracle that Jesus mentions, the blind received their sight. Do you know that's the number one miracle that Jesus commits and did on record? By far, it's not even close. Out of all the things that Jesus did, all the amazing miracles, one miracle stands above the rest. Jesus healed more people from blindness than anything else. And the reason why Jesus did these Physical miracles is to show that the same God or the same person who has authority to do this in the physical realm can do it in the spiritual. So why did Jesus raise people from the dead physically? To show that if he can raise people from the physical dead, he can, he's capable of raising people who are spiritually dead. That's what that is. Why would he heal people that were uh, sick, right? Why did he heal physical people who were sick? To show I have authority to heal the people who are sick in their souls and sick in their mind. I can do that. Why did Jesus heal blind people? Because he is the one that has all authority to give sight to everybody who is spiritually blind. And John was starting to go blind a little. He was starting to go like, I can't see it. Are you? 
Jesus was trying to help him to see. Listen, look around, look what you, look and see. Guys, this is an important lesson for us. John was a great lesson. Listen, don't pretend that you don't have questions. Don't pretend that you have doubts, guys. Present your doubts to God. Present, let your doubts draw you near to God and he will reinforce your faith. Maybe not in the way you think, but if you look around, God has done so much. He has done enough. He might not be checking off every single box of yours, but he has done enough to prove he is trustworthy and worthy of your trust. And you want one evidence? Look to the cross and look to the grave. That's it. Look to the grave where Jesus died and was buried three days. And you know who, who believed that Jesus was gonna raise from the dead? No one, not even the apostles. Do you know how I know that? Because scriptures say, when the tomb rolled, when the you know, door opened and rolled away, who was there? No one. The apostles weren't there with, you know, you know about to pop some bottles and say, hey, oh my gosh, here it is, hey, oh, countdown, like if it's New Year's. 10, 9, hey, happy new creation, happy new life, Jesus is alive again. No, they weren't there because no one believed. But just because they stopped believing, that didn't stop Jesus from raising from the dead. Their lack of faith didn't stop his faithfulness. So guys, I want you to know, let, if you have doubts about things, do what John did. Bring your questions to God, draw near to God, but then be willing to have him look, open up your eyes to see. There is so much that God has done for you. He might've not checked this off and done that or done that, but I guarantee you there is evidence where God has been faithful and good to you that that is enough to Literally hold on in the meantime. If he did not abandon Jesus in the grave, God will not abandon us in our questions in these moments. And that's an important thing to memorize and, and to reflect on. But I thought that was amazing that Jesus, when we bring honest questions, Jesus desires to be able to reinforce our faith despite our doubts. Oh, and, and there was something else. I, I got to mention this. This is pretty cool. Can we put the rest of the verse up? John, Jesus tells John's disciples, go encourage him. And look, he keeps on talking. In verse 24, it says, after John's messengers left, Jesus now turns to talk to the crowd about John. Guys, what? Oh my gosh. I was like, all right, guys, now you've heard the great John the Baptist is doubting me. You guys all heard that question. So let me give you a lesson. Here's what not to do. If you do this, you won't doubt as well. He did not use John as a negative example of what happens to you when you don't believe anymore. Look at how he talked about John. What did you all go into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? The, see those who are splendidly dressed and live in luxury. They're in royal palaces. What did you go and see when y'all went out there to go? You heard about John. What did you go look for? A prophet? Yeah, that's why y'all went to see him because he was a prophet, right? I tell you, I tell you, and more, he was more than a prophet. For this is the one whom it is written, prophesying about uh, him. This was written hundreds of years before. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, the Messiah, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Guys, Jesus did not blast John for that doubt. He did not use him as an object, as a negative object lesson. John was struggling to believe he was not perfect. And yet how did God, how did Jesus declare him? There was no other greater prophet than John. 
Guys, see, that's amazing for us to know. Listen, if for us, there is no such thing as having perfect faith. We are imperfect people, but we have a purpose in Christ Jesus. This is where his grace comes in to know that even in, even if we can be like that, I mean, John did not was struggling to end well. And she says, bro, I love you, man. You fulfilled your mission. That's an amazing encouragement for us to be able to see for those of us that struggle and we wonder, what does God think of me? If you have honest questions and you still honestly love and believe, that's how he thinks of you. That's how he thinks of you. But ooh, hold on. There was one phrase. That's the money phrase that we got to look back on. Jesus said, did y'all catch it? Blessed are the ones Jesus said who aren't offended by me. So you probably were confused about that, went ahead, skipped it, and started paying attention to something else. That's the message. That's the money phrase that Jesus wanted John to get. Blessed are not, I'm sure if you've heard the Bible, you read some stuff, I'm pretty sure you've heard some Jesus say, blessed are the, right? Blessed are the meek, for they will. Blessed are the poor, for they will. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those, blessed are those. That was the Beatitudes, right? The Sermon on the Mount. Here Jesus said, blessed are those who are not offended by me. How can Jesus offend you? How is Jesus ever offended by us? Do you know how? Do you know how he's offended or how we can be offended by Jesus? When he does not meet our expectations and we become ashamed or frustrated or offended. How dare you God not answer my prayer? How dare you not bail me out? How dare you do that? Jesus said, blessed are the ones who are not offended by me. Let me translate that. Blessed are the ones who still hold on even when they can't figure everything out. Blessed are the ones who still hold on to hope when I go left and you thought I was supposed to go right. Blessed are the ones who still hold on when I don't answer their prayers. Blessed are the ones who are not upset at me when I fail to meet their expectations. Now, I'm not saying we can't be emotional beings. We're emotional beings. We can be, mm, okay, we can have that. But it's one of those like, mm, okay, oh, get it together. God, I don't get it. I don't know why. I don't know why so-and-so had to die. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why I can't pinpoint. Listen, there are some things that go wrong in your life. Uh, you can't blame God when that was on you, okay? You can't. When it was like, I don't know, why am I in this, in this position, in this financial position? It was like, why, God, aren't you helping me? I was like, bro, how many people did he send you your way and told you, don't buy that, don't do that, don't do that? I can do it. And you did it. I'm like, oh, why, Jesus, why didn't you help me? I was like, I was, <laughs> you rejected my help, all right? And here's the thing, guys, God is not going to bail you out unless you learn your lesson. Because if you do things wrong and then God bail me out and he bails you out and you didn't learn your lesson, he's gonna, you are gonna be even more diluted. And, and you, do y'all, that makes sense? I mean, literally, if somebody doesn't learn their lesson, if, if a parent, you know, this person keeps on getting themselves into debt and the parent's always bailing them out, is that a good, you know, is that good? And if, if the kid continually does the same thing, no, the parent has to say, bro, get your act together. Once you figure it out and you've learned your lesson, okay, I'm your good dad, I'll help you, but I'm not gonna keep helping you if you're not gonna learn your lesson. Now I'm hurting you, I'm enabling you. God is a good father, he's not gonna enable us in that way. But blessed are those who aren't offended. Blessed are those who hold on even when it's hard to understand. Guys, that is an amazing 
encouragement for us and a reminder for us right there. Because listen, you be careful. There is a blessing there. Blessed are those who still hold on when it's hard to understand. But there's also a curse there. Because if you assume the opposite, if you assume something of God, oh God, you know, I'm not, bro, I'm not even gonna bother anymore. I'm not even gonna bother praying anymore because the last time I prayed, he did not show up. So I doubt he will in, the, in, in this circumstance. I doubt him. You know what you say when you doubt him? In that way, you're saying, I don't trust him. I don't trust God. He has failed to meet my expectations. And you know what's amazing? Aren't you grateful that God does not treat us the way we treat him? How many of us have failed to meet God's expectations? Anybody? Show of hands. <laughs> All right. How many of us have failed to meet God's expectations? And yet, he is not so cutthroat with us the way we are with him. Oh, he didn't do what I thought. I'm done with him. Could you imagine if he was that way with us? No hope, but he's not. He's gracious and wonderful. And guys, I want to warn you and encourage you. It is not wise to doubt God's ability just because you are ignorant of all of his activities. I said it. Can y'all let that one land a little bit further in your heart? Okay, listen, what Jesus is pretty much saying to John and a good lesson for us is it is not wise to doubt God's ability just because you are ignorant of all of his activities. Because Jesus was doing more than John could see or wanted to see. He was doing enough, but it wasn't enough for John because of this one thing. So he was wondering, wait, is it? It's not wise, guys. God is doing so much more. This is why Paul says this in Ephesians. He says, to the God who does beyond what we can ask, even think. Do you know, do you know, guys, that we are, I don't care who you are, your view of God is too small compared to who he is. Listen, when Paul says God is a God in Ephesians who does more than we can ever ask of him, anything that we can ever imagine, that means our prayers are too small. When we pray this and say, God, I pray for this, a lot of times he gives us this because we can't even comprehend that kind of a prayer. We can't even think at that level. That shows us God's amazing grace and love that he does not want to meet any of our expectations. His mission is to far exceed them because your imagination is too small. Your imagination and your intellect is too small to even comprehend what he's trying to do for you. That's why in heaven, right now, Paul says we only see in part, but when we get to heaven, we're going to see the big picture finished and we're going to be, oh my, holy, holy, holy is the one. Holy, holy is the one when we finally see the big picture, but you and I look, we're too close. We're too close and we don't see it. That's this life. But that is who our God is. Even when we say, God, I don't know, man, I don't get it. I don't understand why it has to be this way. But I hold on to hope. I trust you. I trust you. Guys, let me, let me tell you, what, this is what we do with our expectations. I want to ask you, reflect on this this morning. Are your expectations of God, is your relationship with God rooted in God meeting your expectations? Or is your relationship with God founded on God shaping your expectations? God does not want to meet your expectation. He wants to shape them, mold them, chisel, correct them, refine them. Because you know why? This is a good thing, guys. You, your expectations for what you want God to do, it's too small. If God only answered our prayers and only met our expectations, our world would be such a dark place. 
are such a dark place. But though we are all ignorant of him and his ability, true, all of us are, because he is so good and gracious. He says, you pray for this, this is what I'm doing. You want that, I'm, this is what I'm doing, it's better. And I know maybe you don't understand right now, maybe you don't get it at the moment, but you will. This is something I am trying to work in your life. Maybe some of us, listen, some of us got, sometimes we got to learn the hard way, right? Some, some of us got to learn the hard way. We're too hard-headed, too hard-hearted. And so uh, sometimes hard hearts need hard words. Hard, hard hearts sometimes need hard preaching. I, I like it when I hear more owls than wows when I talk to y'all. Sometimes I, 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 it used to bother me hearing so much silence when I would preach with people. I'm like, oh my gosh, are they, are they getting it? Are they, are they asleep? Can, can 50 people learn how to sleep with their eyes open? Are, are they awake? I, I would struggle like that sometimes with the silence. I would feel awkward with it. But I'm okay because I know I don't want your reactions just to reinforce my poor insecurities. I know that sometimes when it's hard to hear, you're like, what did he just say? That, that was true. I'm okay with that now. Because I know God's slicing and dicing. I'm okay with the silence if he's slicing and dicing your soul. I get that. I'm good with that. But see, it should be that, guys. For God, Lord, shape my expectations to line up with your will. Because his will is better. You know, Paul, that happened to Paul. Paul was a murderer and imprisoning Christians because Jesus and the Christians weren't fulfilling. He wasn't meeting the expectation of what he thought the Messiah was. And so he was out there killing him until Jesus transformed his life. Not only did he transform his mind, he opened up Paul because he was blind, literally became blind to show him you have been blind this whole time, but I'm going to now help you see for the first time. And Paul writes this amazing statement. We're going to read it. Philippians 1.20, one verse. Look what Paul tells this church in his opening letter to the church and to the Philippians. He says, my eager expectation. Well, what is Paul's expectations for God? What is Paul's expectations? He says, my eager expectation and hope is this. I'm going to read it. My eager expectation and hope is this, that I, look at the confident words, I will not be ashamed by anything, but that now as always with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or death. He is remembering Jesus' words to John. This lines up. He says, my expectation is and my confident hope, not my wish, I hope. I do this. I hope my team wins, right? NFL season startup. I hope my team wins the Super Bowl. No, my confident hope, my expectation is God, I will not be ashamed of God, meaning I will not be offended by God, but that he will glorify himself in my body, whether by life or death. Paul is literally saying, this is my expectation, guys. What I expect from God is not for him to do and meet. No, my expectation is He is going to fulfill his will in my life, whether I live or die. He's in control. Whatever comes my way, whether I think it's, whether if it's wrong or right, or I don't get it, no matter what I know, I will not be ashamed. I will not be let down. I will not be offended by my God. He will not fail in fulfilling his promises to, through me. That is my expectations. Jesus has now shaped John's expectations for something better something proper. And guys, that's what we need to do today because there's going to be times in the future. There's going to be times in the future that you're going to think, where is God? Where is he right now? Where is he? Oh, how come I'm praying, but I don't, he is not the same. Where is he? 
Has he abandoned me? Has he stopped being loving today? Has he this? Where is he? Why aren't you doing enough? I know we can look in the world right now. Do you know the amount of stories I am seeing from missionaries in Afghanistan and other places? You are not going to see this on CNN or Fox News. They are being murdered on the street every day. Christians. There are Christians right now who put all of us, including me, to shame, knowing that their days are numbered. And you know what they're doing? They're not cowering in caves and waiting out their last days. No, they are boldly going door to door, telling people of the love of Jesus and for them to repent of their sins so they can be saved. They are being, they're doing enough for their days to be cut shorter, but that's how they want to go out. That is true. God, why aren't you doing enough? Why aren't you doing enough? Listen, I'm not here to tell you. I don't have all the answers. All I know is that we hang our hope in the same place where Paul and the apostles hung their hope. Where he says, my expectation and hope is in what? How did he know we're not going to be ashamed? Because he hung his hope on the resurrection. And that is where all Christians should hang their hope, on the resurrection. Because Jesus was not abandoned. They didn't understand. The apostles didn't get it. Why did Jesus have to die? They did not understand. They were ignorant of all that he was doing, yet it, God did not stop. Jesus fulfilled the plan anyway and far exceeded even the apostles' expectations. Because Jesus was not abandoned in the grave, you and I are never going to be abandoned on this earth. Never. And we will not be abandoned to death itself. That's why we can win. That's why these bold Christians and you and I can even face death and not flinch because we follow the only one who ever went through death and came back again. Jesus paved a way because he was the promise. He is the son of God. Only one who could reverse death and the curse. That is where we hang our hope. So even, I know it's going to be, you're going to, all of us, we are going to have hard times Things are going to go a certain way. You're going to have hard days. Some of you might have hard weeks or even months. And, and you know, I did not sin. I, this is not a consequence of something that I did. Maybe. Maybe God's trying to teach you something else. But hold on to hope. Because Jesus, his healing hand was not held back. The deepened nail did not hold his healing hand back. No, his hand is free, reaching out to you today. Maybe not in the way you want him to, but he's trying to do better than you can ever think or imagine. Hold on. And I want to finish with this poem. My grandma used to have, some of y'all might know, this is, this is an oldie. My grandma had this poem written, um, plastered on her wall. And I used to see it growing up all the time. I would run in their room and I'd see it all the time. I'm going to read it to you today. And it's called Footprints in the, in the Sand. It's a good one. It says, one night I dreamed a dream, the author says. And I was, I was walking home along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky, I flashed, uh, flashed scenes from my life. And from each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me, one belonging to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I, I looked back at the footprints in the sand and I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me. And so I asked the Lord about it. Say, Lord, you, want, you said once I decided to follow you, you would walk with me all of the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I 
don't understand why. When I needed you the most, you would leave me. He whispered, my precious child, I love you. And I will never leave you, never ever during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Those are mine. And I love, I love that image because that, guys, that's us, man. That's us. How many times have you and I kicked and complained and cried out to God, why, where are you in the whole time? He has been holding on to us, carrying us while we cry and complain. That is love. That is God's amazing love. He just said, all right, fine, but have it your way and drop you. He held on to you when you can't even hold it together. He has done so much for you. Right now, you can't even begin to imagine or think as of this point. God can stop and never answer another prayer for your life, never do anything good for you. And it would be enough because of what he has done for us already. More than enough. But that he doesn't. He continues to do it. And I want you guys to know, I want all of you to know right now, we hang our hope on the resurrection. And I want you to know that even when God seems silent, he is never still. Even when he looks missing, he is always moving. Even when he feels far, I want you to know that he is closer than you can imagine. And if you can trust in him with your past, can you tell me, can you understand how does the blood of Jesus forgive all of your sins? How, if you can, none of you can process that truly, but if, if you can trust God with your past, why can't you trust him with your present and your future? Even if you don't understand everything right away, you can. And I want you to know, guys, in the same way that Jesus was not abandoned to the tomb, God will not abandon us, any of those who turn from their sins and trust in his name. Because it is in his name that we hang our hope. And that's where I want you to hang your doubts on the name of Jesus right now. I want you guys, let's all take a minute. I just want you to reflect and respond right now to Jesus. It's one thing for me to be able to tell you this, and that's great, and that's good and all, but now you got to do something. So let's all bow our heads. I want you to reflect and don't swipe up. Everybody else, phone in, you know, log in right here. Let's go. God, I want to thank you so much, Jesus, that there is plenty, plenty of us today who have logged on and shown up, and we're looking for you. And, and if we could all be honest, we all have questions. There is not one of us here who does not understand everything fully, but our, our faith is not blind. Our faith is not in just wishful thinking. No, our faith is in the true event, God, that you rose from the dead. And there is evidence, so much evidence around that you are who you claim to be and said who you, your word says, that you are and, and the Messiah the true living God, that there is only one God and his name is Jesus. And that the Father sent the Son to have life and that we've been sealed with the Spirit. Lord, you have done enough. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you may help us right now to do what John did and come and draw near to you right now. Guys, as we're all praying, I want you right now, if, if some of you, some of you have belie are believing Christ and, and but you felt ashamed 
because maybe you struggle to understand this or maybe you feel ashamed because you, you, you can't define or defend every little thing, but that doesn't matter. I want you to give God your shame right now. Give him your regrets. Give him all of it right now and say, Lord, here, thank you, God, that you are doing so much for me that I can't even comprehend and that's not stopping you. My ignorance and my, my hard-headedness is not stopping you. God, thank you so much. God, help me. Help me to continue to believe. Help me to hold on to you, guys. He is holding on to you right now. Hold back. Hold on to him. The hand is not held back. He is reaching out to you. And his hand is extended. I want you to put shame in that hand right now. Shame in that nail-scarred hand. I want you to put your questions in that hand, knowing that God says he wants to reinforce your faith this morning and say, listen, I know you're praying for that and it's been years for you that you're praying for that, but I haven't abandoned you. Give me that question. Let me hold you in the process and trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Follow me. Keep following me. Trust me. Everything, guys, that is coming to your mind and heart right now, every sin, put it in his hand. If you have never believed in Christ, if you've never done that, place your whole life in his hands, in those nail-scarred hands that give you life. Put it all, every sin, every failure. Recognize, God, I still have way Way more to go. But God, thank you, God, thank you that I am not who I used to be. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, illuminate their hearts and help them to see, though they have far to go, God, help them to see what you have done in their life. Help them to see, God, that you have never abandoned them, that they are not who they used to be, and it is by your grace that they are growing. It is by your mighty love. God, I want to thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus, for every time we have been rebellious of you. Lord, when we have failed to meet your expectations, when you have clearly, clearly said in your word, do this, and we willingly, knowingly chose to do the opposite. Thank you, God, that you have not been vengeful the way we are to you. Thank you for being merciful to us. Forgive us for every word that we have ever said. Guys, God will judge every word we've ever spoken. And that's another one y'all saw me y'all need to put in his hand right now. Every word of doubt that you've ever said, I don't trust him anymore. He is not a good God. Place it in his hand right now and say, Lord, forgive me for being emotional. Forgive me for, for, for speaking and assuming of you. And in the name of Jesus, I pray that the spirit of the living God blow through your hearts and move right now, washing away your shame, washing away. May it cover your eyes and help you to see that God is there. Even though you don't see everything, even though you don't comprehend it all, I want you just to look to the cross, look to that empty tomb, look to that nail-scarred hand and know that God will be faithful. That you, if you place your trust in him, you will not be ashamed. You will not be let down. He will not disappoint you. Hold on to him. Like we sang earlier today, and, and you will have like wings like eagles. God will give you a second breath and give you that wind to carry you through life storms. No matter how dark and difficult, whatever the question is, God is able to carry you through that right now. Just open up your heart and let the wind of the spirit carry you right now. God, I want to thank you so much. Thank you so much that you are gracious and loving and kind. 
to every single one of us. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus, we seal right now this truth in the hearts of all those who are listening and responding to you. God, may you seal this right now in good soil, that when the enemy comes to distract and discourage, see another failed prayer. See, God's not there. No, God, may this word be secured in their hearts that they may say, no, I have confidence and trust that my God is who he said he was. He is faithful. He is good. And I will not be ashamed by him. May God be glorified in all of my life, in life or death. Seal that truth right now in the name of Jesus. Awaken us, Lord, that we may go out into this world and be a beacon of hope to those who are hurting and lost and dying in their sins. God, open up our eyes and help us through us, Lord. You may open up the eyes of the blind in the name of Jesus. We pray and believe in these things in the good and mighty, faithful name of Jesus. We declare and we hang our hope on. Amen. Hope, I gave you a lot to think about, and I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. Because listen, one of the biggest things that I took away from this was how grateful I am of God that he does not treat me with the same way that I treat him or that I've had when he fails to meet my expectations when I fail to meet his he's loving he's kind he's corrective let's not you know let's not get it wrong but I'm just grateful that he is more gracious and merciful and loving than me and that's what makes him so amazing and today guys I want to encourage you whether you know I know we've all we will all feel like John at some point wondering kind of you know did I waste my life you know did it matter what what if I I was doing this doing that you know did it did I make a difference look in the end we are going to put our trust in God knowing that everything if you put your trust in him and you are faithful and fulfilling what he has called you to do you will have the same expectations that Paul had and he says God will not let me down i will not be ashamed by him in fact we will all be amazed at what he is doing and is gonna pull off so guys i want to challenge you you know when it comes to being a revolutionary if you want to live a revolutionary life you need to have that kind of revolutionary faith revolving your life around christ and listen revolve your questions around him i want to encourage you just like john brought jesus questions listen be open with god but find others that you can discuss things with because as we see here god desires to reinforce our faith despite our doubts but we must surrender our doubts to him i encourage you to do that keep pressing on and let's follow christ together so that he can move through us and make a difference in other people's lives.